morning, everyone. Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sydney live stream. It's always a blessing to bring God's word to you today and um, trust that he has much to say and may we have ears to hear him and praise him. What, a, what an awesome God who would create all things. And this morning I was reading in my devotions of uh, God on the first day creating the heavens. When he created the earth, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the first day there was light. And that was it. It was so good. It was so glorious. Without the light of the sun or the moon or the stars, just that emanation from God. And that was enough. Just think that Jesus Christ, the light of the world, he's come to us. He's revealed himself. And may we sit back and adore him and look upon him with eyes filled with adoration and love. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 14 today. And let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory. Thank you for teaching us through your word. And we pray, Lord, you would fill us with your spirit to give us understanding of you, of what you're saying, how to respond to these truths and how to walk in them, how to lead others to Jesus and to glorify your name. Thank you again for your presence for your power and your goodness, in Jesus' name. Amen. We rely heavily upon our sight, those of us who see. um, We rely upon signs. Whether we're behind the wheel in an unfamiliar area or looking for the right bus terminal or terminal at the airport, whether we're looking for information from like, oh, do you have a fever? Is your head hot? Like, what are the symptoms you have that we can tell what kind of medicine to take? There's a a flashing light on your mobile. It it says that you've missed a notification or the whine of the pool pump. It tells you that the basket needs to be emptied or some drops of oil that you see on the ground shows that your car may need some servicing. And some signs, they're pretty easy, straightforward, and others are a bit more subtle and subjective. We can notice people that we know well that they don't seem quite their cheerful self or We look for signs from our boss to see what kind of mood he is, if it's a good time to have that meeting or to ask that question. And as useful as signs can be, we can misinterpret them. We don't always follow them. I think of when Jesus said Lazarus was sick and was sleeping, the disciples said, well, that's a good sign. It's good that he's sleeping. He'll get better. And they didn't understand that Jesus meant he was dead. And praise the Lord, Jesus raised him from the dead as a sign to show that he was sent from God so that everyone might believe upon him. And two groups of people, one group saw the sign and they believed in Jesus. Another group saw the sign and they went to his enemies to tell on him and did not believe. So signs in the Bible, things like when Gideon laid a fleece before the Lord, it revealed his faith. He asked in faith. He followed it in faith. And there was also signs that were dismissed, things that Jesus did where people dismissed them, they rejected him, and did not follow them. When Jews took up stones to kill Jesus for blasphemy, he said this in John 10, 37 and 38. He said, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me, and I in him. 
Jesus did many signs to show he was one with the Father, that he was indeed the Son of God, the Messiah sent to save sinners, that he could forgive, that he could give eternal life to all who trust in him. Unbelief, it's so sinister because it blinds us to the truth. It explains away miracles to deny the personal responsibility to respond to them. Those who require a sign beyond the testimony of Scripture, beyond what Jesus has already done, they are in darkness and cannot see to respond to the signs. So they can ask for a sign, but it doesn't mean that they'll follow them or correctly interpret them. Praise the Lord, He has brought light into the darkness. Where there was once only darkness, the light has shone. And in his presence, it's only day because there's light in him and no darkness. So we're in Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 14. And he was casting out a demon and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. Jesus many times, countless times, showed his power of, the power of God through the casting out of demons, overwhelming the powers of darkness, and it was... A unique case because this person was mute. It was believed by many that you needed to know the name of the demon to have authority and power to cast it out. But Jesus did not know the name of the demon. He didn't need to. In fact, uh, there's no formula for casting out demons by asking the name. Jesus on one occasion did that when it was legion. Um, And he already knew that name. I think he asked that so people would know there was more than one, and he had power over all of them at one time. The only name that we need to know to engage and have victory in spiritual warfare is the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? At his name, the demons tremble and flee. The seven sons of Sceva, they discovered in Acts 19 when they used the name of Jesus, who Paul preached to try to cast a demon out of a person, who turned on them and overwhelmed them and beat them up. Knowing Jesus and being known by him is much more important than just rattling off his name because they were just spiritual imposters and were exposed. So multitudes, they're marveling over what Jesus did. There's this mute man. Jesus casts out the demon. The demon leaves and the mute person is able to speak. No therapy, no uh, learning how to speak was just instantly able to speak, was healed. And they da- some downplayed this miracle. They scornfully accused Jesus of, well, he's using, he's using Satan's power, the ruler of the demons, to cast out these demons. In 2 Kings 1-2, we read of Ahaziah, the king, seeking to inquire of uh, Baalzebub, the god or the idol of Ekron, to know if he would be delivered from this disease. And Jesus, he speaks of Beelzebub as synonymous with Satan. Idols, those who worship them, they're Satan's pawns to to try to undermine God, to thwart God's purposes. Others, it says in this passage, who saw the miracle, they they tested him. They sought a sign from heaven. They, They tested him hoping and believing he would fail because they didn't believe that he was the son of God. So they said, well, show us something from heaven. 
if you claim to be God, in spite of the fact that they saw this miracle take place. Unbelief always finds an excuse to justify itself. Jesus knew their thoughts. He appeals to reason. Why would Satan undermine his own kingdom? Why would he destroy? Why, what would he gain by destroying his own position? How could a divided kingdom stand when Satan was telling his own demons to abandon their posts? If a nation has an island they see as their sovereign territory, they will inhabit it. They will invest in infrastructure. They will fortify it. They will put a base there. They'll have a presence, a military presence there perhaps to, to show this is our land. This is our territory. Approaching the island, getting so close, that's aggression. And stepping foot on the island without permission, that's an act of war. No nation that wants to maintain their sovereignty, control their borders, protect their assets or their citizens, would direct the military to stand down when threatened for the entertainment of passers-by. That's totally ridiculous. Countries never give territory away because it increases their vulnerability of being overthrown and losing everything. And Satan, he's opposed to God. He's not going to willingly give up territory that's legally rightfully his. He has a mighty kingdom on earth. But when faced with the power of God, when faced with Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he's forced to surrender and make a quick, hasty retreat. Continuing in Luke eleven, nineteen, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. The Jews had exorcists among them who had ability to cast out demons. That power was attributed to God. And it was hypocrisy for the Jews to credit their sons with godliness because of their ability to cast out demons when Jesus could do what they could not do. How he uh, cast out this demon of a man who could not even speak. Didn't know the name. If this accusation was true that Jesus was casting out demons through satanic power, who was to say these respected Jewish exorcists did not tap into the same power? Jesus makes it clear in verse 20, But since I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus needed no incantations. He didn't wear any special talismans or uh, protective apparel. He had no special mix of herbs. He had no charms. At his word alone, the demons left, and the person was healed. Jesus did these kind of miracles regularly. We read, him, we read of him uh, causing the paralyzed man to stand up, the person born blind able to see, the lame walking the dead raised to life. This was so commonplace, John said that if, all the, if there were books written that chronicled all the works that Jesus did, the world itself would not be able to contain the books written. 
So these are just a, li- a little snapshot of the things he did all the time. And people were eyewitnesses of this. It didn't happen in a corner. Jesus uses an example of a strong, fully armed man who's guarding his own palace where he's living. It's like he had them, if we're going to put it in modern day, he had his monitored security system and motion video cameras installed and bulletproof glass and hardened steel locks and concrete reinforced rooms and um, he's wearing body armor. He kept a stockpile of ammunition for his weapons and with his fortifications he was able to keep safe his precious goods. Keep them safe from thieves, keep them safe from overthrow. And the only way he's going to give up his valuables is if there's someone stronger who can overpower him and take them away. He's not going to give them up freely. And when it comes to strength, think about in this world, you can be the reigning strongest man, but it's only a matter of time before you start to get a little weak. Someone else gets stronger. And it turned out in the end, this man's front door was only rated for RPGs, and there was a supersonic... Uh, rail gun that just went right through it like it was nothing, smashed it to bits, and he was over overwhelmed. He lost all of his stuff, he was plundered, his possessions taken, and he was sent away. And in the story, Satan, he's the strong-armed man. He's guarding his palace, this human body that he had taken possession of. Now, a demon's not going to leave his human any more than you're going to leave a house that you rightfully own to homeless squatters who say, hey, give us your house. You're like, no way. I'm calling the authorities. This is my place. I have the deed. This is my property. Sinners are the property of Satan. Jesus is the stronger man who came, being the strongest of all, and he overcame the demon there and cast him out. So Satan was disarmed. The demon was stripped of armor and defenses, and the plunder was divided in his own kingdom. A human being, Satan will weaponize to try to use against God, to fight against God, to undermine God. But Jesus is able to use someone once in bondage to become a faithful servant and a child of God that he loves. So awesome. We, we may not, you may not have experienced being possessed by a demon, But we've all experienced uh, great deliverance through Jesus Christ when we trust in him. That mute person could not speak, and the Bible says that we were dead in sins. We could do less than speak. Um, We were dead in sins, but we've been raised to new life through trusting in Jesus. In Colossians 2, verse 13, we read about this. It says, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your tres- all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. This mute man who could now speak, it was a spectacle that people saw and they realized, wow, the kingdom of God has come to us. This man has been delivered from the power of darkness and now he is walking in the light through Jesus. And Satan, he's disarmed when the Holy Spirit takes residence in our hearts and we are protected and enabled to stand strong in him. When we abide in our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, even though the Satan is like a lion seeking whom he may devour. We are protected 
by him, and we have victory through him. And Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. And this shows there's no place for neutrality considering, concerning your belief in Christ. If those who do not side with him, they were against him. Those who do not gather with him scatter. And a refusal to join with him is to join the opposition. And this is the case of all mankind. We were born opposing God. We were born in sin. We tend to sin. We like sin. We like the things and our flesh desires the things that are not of God. And God said, there is no good, no, not one. And Jesus, when he was confronted by the self-righteous Pharisees, he said, you are of your father, the devil, because you seek to murder me, and he is a murderer from the beginning. In 1 John 3, 7 and 8, it says this, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. We don't need to be possessed by an unclean spirit to be of the devil, because that's how we are in our sinful condition. Uh, the fact that we sin, it shows that we naturally are of the devil. Jesus was manifested, though, to destroy the works of the devil, to cast out the strong man, to cause us to be born again through faith into God's family to receive us as his inheritance, to cleanse us, to heal us, to repair the damage that sin has done to us and freed us from the curse and makes us righteous. And then we're co-heirs with him. Like the things God does for us and has done and the plans he has for us are phenomenal, amazing. When we repent, so having been born again, when we sin, we repent. Because we have been made righteous and therefore we desire to live righteously, we, we often fall short of this. We're not perfect yet in this life. But Christ, through walking in him and seeking the strength of the Spirit, he helps us. When, uh, so our natural instinct is kind of like a pig that when it cools itself, it, when it's, it's hot, it will roll in the mud. It will wallow in the mud to cool its flesh. And... When our flesh is stirred up, we too will wallow in sin. But now we have, when we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, He changes us. He indwells us. He causes us to understand things about God we never did before. And this new relationship and identity, it goes beyond the law that we're now governed by His grace, His Spirit, and His love. Continuing in Luke 11. 24, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Jesus provides insight of what happens after an unclean spirit that has once inhabited a person, leaves. The aim of the demon is to settle down again, to find, to, it's like, goes through dry places. The place where a demon feels most at home is in a heart and a life full of sin, where the demon can corrupt, where the demon can uh, enjoy sin through that person. 
Legion, remember the man that was demon-possessed, he dwelt among the tombs and among the dead, unclean things. And then when Jesus cast out that de- those demons, they begged to go into the swine that were on the hillside, and they swiftly uh, ran down the hill and drowned. A demon being cast out of a person is like a homeless person, a squatter who's been cast out by the authorities. Like, hey, you can't shack up here anymore. You need to go on your way. You don't own this property. And, but there's no fixing of the house. There's no repair of the house. Uh, and the house remains empty for the next tenant. And Jesus explains the restless demon. He's looking around going, ah, nothing's as good as where I came from. And he goes back, and if he sees the house is empty, no lights on, the door ajar, well, it's a perfect place for him to go with his buddies that are more sinful than himself and dwell there. The last state of that man is worse than the first. So being delivered by the power of God from the power of darkness, but you haven't opened up your heart to Jesus Christ in faith, it's basically an invitation for the powers of darkness to abide in you, to come into your life. Now, should that spirit that was cast out of this mute man return at some point and find the house lit with the presence of the Holy Spirit who's dwelling in the ensuite, and there are strong angels guarding each door and window, he is going to look someplace else. That's not a place where he wants to be. A demon wants to go to a dark, filthy, proud, unrepentant heart where he can be in charge and make himself at home in sin with his friends, away from the light of the world and away from the word of God. Those who reject Jesus, they put themselves at the mercy of these sadistic, murderous spirits and will end up in worse shape than pigs drowning in the Sea of Galilee because they urge a soul towards ruin. So praise the Lord that there is salvation, there is deliverance through Jesus. Luke eleven twenty seven, and it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. But he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus is teaching the multitude. There's a certain woman she called out from the crowd and blessed uh, his mother, said, man, your mother is blessed to have had you. And it seems the first attempt of people to venerate Mary and for her special role as the mother of the Son of God, and Mary was indeed blessed. She was chosen by the Lord to carry Christ. But Jesus corrected the notion that she was more blessed than others. He counters, he says, more than that, she is blessed, but more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Only one person could be Mary, the Virgin Mary who... Uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit and gave birth to Jesus. But he says everyone can be even more blessed than her when they hear the word of God and keep it. When we hear God's word and keep it, we are more blessed than Mary with her privileged position who bore the promised Messiah. And that must have been shocking to hear in a culture that deeply valued the blessing of children. They saw it as a direct blessing from God. Mary was pleased to have Jesus as her son, but the question is, are we as happy to hear the word of God and to do it? Now, my heart goes out to people who, for whatever reason, have not had children. They really want to, but for some reason they haven't, and they feel like they've missed out on something, and they feel 
sadness, and a lack. Children are a blessing from the Lord, yet everyone who hears the word of God and keeps it are more blessed than being a parent or a grandparent. There's far more blessing in Christ in hearing his word and doing it than in having a family around you. To put the blessing of having children above the blessing of those who hear the word of God and do it is like a woman who's blessing the womb of Mary rather than Jesus, the Son of God, who brings salvation to the world. Luke eleven twenty nine. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Crowds are gathered together. Jesus exposed the evil, unbelieving generation that seeks a sign without belief. It's a generation that seeks to be entertained, to be dazzled while in unbelief. And Jesus said, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah the prophet. In the book of Jonah, we read of this prophet named Jonah, who received this directive from God to preach to that great sin in Nineveh that they would be destroyed that judgment was imminent from God. Jonah hated the Ninevites. He didn't want them protected, and so he sought to flee. He took a ship to Tarshish, and God prepared this storm, and it was discovered by the crew that Jonah was indeed the cause for this supernatural storm, and he commanded the sailors to throw him overboard so that the storm would cease and they would be spared. I don't know that Jonah expected to survive, but God prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, where he remained in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights until he prayed to God. God heard his prayers and caused him to be vomited up onto dry land. It's pretty rough. But God repeats his call graciously, gracious to Jonah to keep using him and gracious to the Ninevites that he would provide a warning for them. He obeyed that call and had phenomenal success. His miraculous preservation from the belly of that great fish and his preaching, it was a sign to the Ninevites that he indeed spoke for God and the people as one man from king to the youngest person, they repented at his word and were saved. He did no miracle. All he did was say, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown and people believed him and they changed their lives because of it. God saved them. Jesus also spoke of the queen of the south or the queen of Sheba. She came from her distant land, which is modern-day Yemen, some 2,000 k's away. She had heard of Solomon's wealth and his wisdom, and she traveled there to see for herself. She was so intrigued. She traveled all that way. Pretty impressive. Let's read in 1 Kings 10, 4 through 9, after she had seen everything, her reaction. 
It says, And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers, his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants, who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness." The queen of Sheba did not look upon the clothing of Solomon or of his servants with disdain, like, ugh, we have way better back in uh, Sheba. She didn't roll her eyes at his parables. She didn't demand a miracle to prove his greatness after she had seen everything there. Out of curiosity, she traveled for weeks, maybe even months, but she was overwhelmed by what she saw. She said, I heard of it. And I didn't believe it. I honestly did not believe it. But now that I'm here, I see I wasn't told half of the truth. This is amazing. This is phenomenal. And she admitted this freely. And she starts just bursting forth with compliments and saying, this is just amazing. How blessed are these people to serve you? How blessed is Israel because you're on the throne? God obviously loves these people. The deeds of this Gentile queen... Of Sheba, it would rise in judgment against the Jews to whom Jesus addressed, who did not believe him, because one greater than Solomon spoke with them. The Ninevites, also Gentiles, they rose up in judgment and they condemned an evil generation that required a sign because they repented at the words of Jonah, a man who disobeyed God, a man who hated them, a man who wanted them to face destruction and judgment. Jesus was greater than Jonah. Jesus only did the will of the Father. He loved Jew and Gentile. He didn't want anyone to perish, but that they would be saved and delivered from the power of Satan, from sin and death. The kingdom of God had come to Israel through Jesus, and he would lay his life down on Calvary for their sins so they could be saved through faith in him. If they would just acknowledge what he was doing, and how it was in accordance with Scripture, and it was good and godly and righteous, they too could repent and be saved. When the unbelieving scribes and Pharisees asked for a sign in Matthew 39 and 40, this is what it says. Jesus answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. God had already fulfilled the sign he had spoken of in Isaiah 7, 14, where he says, I'll give you a sign. You don't want to ask me for, I'm asking you, what sign shall I give you? And the king's like, I don't want to tempt you and ask for a sign. He says, okay, I'll give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and he'll be the son of God. That's a very loose paraphrase, but Jesus would be born of a virgin. And Jesus would fulfill their request for a sign with his own death, burial, and resurrection. 
The irony is, even with this miraculous sign of Jesus rising from the dead, it would not make believers of many of them. They would try to hush it up. The evidence and the facts of Jesus, his existence, the works that he did, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, you can, you can investigate these. You can acknowledge them, and you should believe him because he is true and holy and righteous, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. Luke eleven thirty three. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket but on a lampstand that those who come in may see who those who come in may see the light the lamp of the body is the eye therefore when your eye is good your whole body also is full of light but when your eye is bad your body also is full of darkness therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness if then your whole body is full of light having no dark part the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light Jesus then shares an example that everyone would agree with and understand. No one lights a lamp. In those days, you'd have a little clay pot with some oil in there and a wick. You would light that to see. You would not light a lamp to put it under a basket or under a bed. Can you imagine you're hosting a, a fancy dinner party, a candlelit uh, meal and but the room is totally pitch black because you've lit the candles and you put them in the pantry, you close the door, and you put them in the fridge, you close the door, and you put a couple under the bed for good measure in your bedroom. Like, the best case scenario is that from oxygen deprivation, the flame would go out. The worst case scenario is you burn your house down, right? There'd be no point in lighting a candle that you're going to hide somewhere. Jesus says the lamp of the body is the eye. As a lamp on the lampstand, it provides light for all the room. So healthy eyes, they give us the power of sight. Even our eyes that aren't so healthy, we can still use them as best we can. And our eyes that can see do not get tired of seeing. We rely upon seeing. It's, it's hard for us to imagine those who see how life would be different if you couldn't see. We rely on our sight so much. Uh, we use our eyes to show us where we are, like our orientation in a room or uh, where we're walking or obstacles to avoid. A person in darkness without a lamp cannot see. And if our eyes are blind, we're totally and continually in darkness. A blind person grows to develop other means of perception and skills to safely navigate. But the point that Jesus is making is a blind person should not use their eyesight as their uh, sense to rely upon to know where they're going or what's happening, right? A blind person would use touch or hearing. You could hear uh, just there's heightened abilities that you have uh, that are developed. So a blind person who trusts their eyesight, they're in a futile and a dangerous position. That's the point Jesus makes here. And he warns, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. It's possible during night or if you're in a dark place that there is darkness outside of us. And Jesus teaches that there's also spiritual darkness within us that blinds us to the truth of God. The people who saw the demon cast out of this mute man who was then able to speak, 
They saw it with their eyes, but they were unable to see the truth. They were able to, unable to connect the fact that this Jesus, who was born of a virgin, who did these marvelous signs with the finger of God, was God to be trusted. He was the Messiah. Like people born blind, they didn't know what they couldn't see. I've seen moving videos of people who are colorblind, and they're given special glasses that help them to see colors that they never saw before. Colors that were around them all the time, but they were not able to perceive them. And so they put on these, and it's like a very emotional experience for a lot of people. And they're like, wow, this is how the world looks like? I had no idea. And they take off the glasses, and they put them on, and they keep testing it and going, just like, wow. And like, everything is new. Everything is different. And it may not be the way you see the world, but they are now seeing things that they never saw before. They couldn't perceive before because of the condition with their eyes. I've also seen a similar thing when people have a cochlear implant who are profoundly deaf. And people are overwhelmed. They can, they're moved emotionally because they're hearing sounds that were once imperceptible like their own voice. That sounds so strange and foreign to them. Spiritual sight and healing, hearing, it doesn't come through special glasses or implants, but through faith in Christ. It's the one who admits that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he speaks the truth, that his wisdom is true, and that we are sinners, and he's the only way to salvation. That's how we are able to perceive. And then the light of the Holy Spirit fills us, the light of Jesus. He's the light of the world. We're able to see him for who he is. The human heart, it's naturally filled with darkness. It's Jesus who miraculously enables us to see. He opens the eyes of the blind. John 8, 12, it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. When you look upon Jesus today, when we read this passage, who do you see? Do you see a man who's using the power of Satan to impress people? Or is he the son of God, born of a virgin, who did many signs like the casting out of demon and the healing of this mute man who was immediately able to speak, how he rose from the dead after three days, just as he said, being the son of God. Now, if you can't see Jesus in that way, take heed that the light in you is not darkness, that you're trusting um, one of your senses that's not working properly because unbelief will blind us to the truth and it makes us think that we're always right when it's God who's right. God's word, it's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. And it gives the soul, the willing soul, no other alternative than to acknowledge Christ as God and King. And he says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. And when the Jews asked Jesus, well, what should we do to do the works of God? He says, believe on him whom he has sent. We are to believe on Jesus Christ. We're to rely upon him, to follow him, to trust him. Being born again. I mean, praise the Lord that the light has come into the darkness. In the darkness, we were blind. We were like in a prison, but he has freed us. He has opened our eyes to see our need and that he is our Savior. And let's thank him. 
Father, thank you for sending Jesus to be our Savior. Thank you for the great deliverance you have wrought. That is a spiritual deliverance. More than opening our eyes that will once be closed in death, and more than just causing us to hear, you have brought the light into our dark hearts. You have given us eyes to see and ears to hear. You have given us new life through faith in Christ. And I pray for those, Lord, who are like this mute man, whether or not they professed faith in you, but they need a touch from your Holy Spirit. They need deliverance. They need strength. And Lord, you came to deliver us from the power of Satan. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would do mighty works that in our lives, it would be a testimony of your faithfulness and your power that you've delivered us from our unbelief and from our pride and our ignorance, Lord, and you've caused us to see. I pray, Father, that you would help us to walk close by Christ's side, that you would fill us afresh with your spirit, and that we would be filled with joy to bless your holy name, that we would hear your word and do it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Have a great day.